0: Glory is coming, mighty things coming, coming around. That's what we're reading about in Acts. And what's really amazing about the account of Acts is, is that that coming of glory and the coming of mighty things coming around, that, that's coming to a generation. We're reading about that first century generation. But we ought to also be looking for you know, that same glory that comes and those same mighty things that come. It's coming around it's coming around. And throughout church history, it's been coming. It's been coming around. Glory and mighty things that God is doing It's coming. It's coming around. And we as a community should be awakened to, oh, we want that glory to come. We want those mighty things to be done. We want it to come around. We want it to come around in our generation. So if you want to stand with me, and let's read together out of Acts 2. Last week, it's, it's been difficult to go through Acts 2, you can't, you can't, you can do an overview, but there's so much happening on this day of Pentecost that it's going to take three or four Sundays just to, to look at some of the things that are happening because there's glory here, there's mighty things here. It's coming around, and we want to look at it slower. So, this is where we're going to go today. So, Acts 2, around 39, somewhere in there. Uh, Cut to the quick. What what that means is Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus promised they would be. So Pentecost is the day that the promise of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is going to give you power and you'll be my witnesses. Well, it's on this day, that's happening. Power comes. So Peter, uh, in the midst of that, steps forward and he speaks in a powerful way, not because he was humanly powerful, not because he spent hours preparing a message, but on the moment, spontaneously, filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke this very powerful, convincing word, and people were cut to the quick. Their their conscience was penetrated. We'll talk more about that as we go. And those that were listening asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers, so now what do we do? And Peter said, convert. I'm using the word convert intentionally because it's bigger than repentance. Repentance is part of it. But I tried to convince us last week that the the better word is convert, and we'll talk more about that as we go. Convert, turn to God, be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which you see is being given right now. Receive the gift. The promise is targeted for you and your children and also to all who are far away, like us, whomever, in fact, our Master God invites. And Peter went on in this vein for a long time, providing powerful witness, convincing argument, urging them over and over, get out while you can. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. That day... About 3,000 accepted Peter's word. They were baptized, I assume, on that day. And they were added. They signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together, the common meal, and the prayers. The glory came. The mighty work of God came around. Have a seat, please. Last week when I suggested to you that we might look at, at the word repent in, in Peter's response to the question, what shall we do, as, as convert, I was a little disappointed that no one really kind of pushed back and said, wait a minute, convert to what? What, what are we talking about? So I, in my disappointment, I had to wait all week to tell you what I want you to hear now. Peter is not trying to convert people from Judaism to Christianity. Why do I say that? Well, quite obviously, if you think about it for a moment, there is no Christianity. There, there's Jews that are now following Jesus that are filled with the Spirit, and, are, and they're saying, hey, fellow Jews, <laughs> convert but they're not saying convert religions. So Peter's job was not to have people convert from Judaism to something else. Guess what? It's not our job. It is not our job to try to convince people to convert from whatever to whatever or even if you want to start slicing the apple from your expression of Christianity to our expression of Christianity. That's not that's not what conversion is about. Conversion is about a change of mind. Specifically here, we have some people that are witnessing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They've heard it. They've felt the power of it. They're witnessing people speaking in languages that are not their own. Things seem to be a little out of control. There's something like flames, of whatever that is, on their heads... And some say, well, they're just drunk. They're just drunk. And Peter says, no, you you need to change the way that you're thinking about this. You need to change the way that you're viewing this. These people aren't drunk. This is what the prophet Joel announced. This is what it looks like when the Spirit of God is being poured out. You don't want to call these people drunk when it's the Spirit of God doing this. But even more important than that, he's talking to a crowd of people that participated in the crucifixion of Jesus. And he's saying, you, in some way, you were duped, you participated in pinning Jesus to the cross, you participated in killing Jesus. And you killed the one that God made Lord and Master. This Jesus, whom you killed on the cross. See, that's where they were really cut to the quick. We made a huge mistake. We missed the time of God's visitation, and we thought Jesus was a criminal. We thought Jesus was disrupting our faith. We've made a huge mistake. And Peter's saying, yes, you did. Change the way that you think about Jesus. Jesus is not a criminal. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. He's the king promised that would come. And they're saying, wow. You know, if you really want to boil it, that's what what our job is. We need to we need to help people change their mind about who Jesus is. And the Bible tells us who Jesus is. We need to come to believe and accept, and then we need to be asking the Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit empower us to, uh, to tell other people in a convincing way that changes the way that they think about Jesus. So Peter on this day is this Empowered witness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a fulfillment of Acts 1.8. Remember, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit pours out power on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Well, that's what this is. Peter is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to give this powerful witness. He bore powerful witness to God's mighty works in the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he implored the crowd. He entreated the crowd. He said, again, over and over, different, different ways, change the way that you're looking at what's happening. Change your opinion of Jesus. And he comes down, save yourselves. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, what was that generation? It was a generation that was self-righteous. It was a generation that was self-centered. It was a generation that was a know-it-all generation. It was a generation that historically received revelation from God in the form of a covenant that established a way of life and a faith, but that, that, they, that, that people took that and then manipulated that into a system of religion. And that religion blinded that generation. When God showed up, the God that was foretold would show up. In this day of visitation, that Messiah, would. they were blind. That, that, that is a crooked generation. That's a dishonest generation. That, that is an unscrupulous generation. That's all different ways of saying the same things. It's a generation that did not recognize the time of God's visitation. And Peter knows full well, if you do not change the way that you view Jesus, you're in big trouble with God the Father. Well, 3,000 took him at his word. I don't know how many people fit into Unicorn Stadium but just kind of picture Unicorn Stadium filled with people. 3,000 people after that message, which is not that long of a message. And we don't know how long he kept imploring and entreating, but it's, I don't think it's all that long. 3,000 people, because it was a message empowered by the Holy Spirit, were cut to the quick. And they accepted what Peter was saying as truth. He's speaking the truth, and we need to do something about it and they decided that day, we want to identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, baptize me. Now think about it for a moment. They're in Jerusalem. Those of you that have visited the old city, they're in the old city somewhere. Where are you going to go to get baptized? The only place that I could think of are the the ritual pools that were used for people to prepare to go to offer sacrifice. Now, if that's the place, can can you imagine? 3,000 people show up to the south of the seven steps that went up into the temple, to the pools, to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine what an uproar that would have been around the temple grounds? We, we, want to identify, we, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. We want to identify with His death and with His ascension. And we want the Holy Spirit now to fill us. We want the promise of the Father. Can you imagine what that would have been like in Jerusalem? And those 3,000, after accepting the witness of Peter as truth, After identifying with Jesus in his death and his resurrection, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit through baptism, they were then added to the community. Now there's 3,120 people. And the emphasis is they're spending lots of time together. Well, as they spend lots of time together, what are they doing together? Well, number one, together in the teaching of the apostles. There's two ways that teaching can be communicated. One would be that the apostles are spending a lot of time talking. Okay, Peter, we're starting a new series. You're number one. We're going to go to number 12. All 3,100 in doing the math, 20 less 12. You're showing up. You're just going to listen to the apostles all day. They're just going to teach, and they're going to teach, and they're going to teach some more. And then they're going to have books for sale, and you can read their books. And you know, we we're going to you know are going to get cassettes going, and there's some DVDs. You know, so I mean, you can just spend your time, lots of time, just listening to the apostles teach. Guess what? That's not what it means. <laughs> Did Jesus ever preach a really long message? But what was the emphasis? He he taught in a way that he deposited a truth. And what what did he expect once that truth was deposited? What were people to do with that? They were to live it out. So they're spending time receiving instruction. I don't envision it being long and lengthy and windy, but it's powerful. It's changing life. They're spending time. Peter just deposited this truth, and now we live it out. So they're spending time receiving a truth and living it out. That's how they're spending their time. Then as they spend their time doing that, they're together in koinonia, Koinonia is probably one of the Greek words that most of us recognize. Koinonia is association. It's fellowship. It's friendship. It is close relationship. As they are taught and as they live out the truth, they are drawn into these relationships with each other that are really rich. And then they live out those relationships in the next, together in the breaking of the bread. If you and I were to go to Bethlehem for lunch today, the first thing that would be set on the table for us is bread. Good bread. Warm bread. (laughs) Angie's been there, her eyes are bigger, and her head is bobbing. And you take that bread and you break that bread, that's the beginning of the meal. And then you use that bread and you dip it in wonderful hummus, and then there's all sorts of salads that come out. Every time I have a meal in Bethlehem, I forget that the breaking of the breads, the salads, the hummus, that's not the meal. That's like the preparation. That's the community time around the table. And I always eat too much. I can't stop eating the bread. I can't stop dipping it in the hummus. So then when the next course comes, I'm going, oh, baby. But I eat that too. <laughs> and then dessert comes, and I'm miserable at the end of that meal. But that's what this is. They're spending lots of time. It's the ordinary table fellowship of members of the first community each day in their homes. Again, remember, these 3,000 people, not all of them are residents of Jerusalem. Many of them have traveled to Jerusalem from around the Mediterranean Sea. They're still on pilgrimage for Pentecost. They don't have homes to go to. So those that are resident in, in Jerusalem are now inviting people over. Come over to my house. We'll break bread together. We'll share a meal together. And they were together in prayer. So now they're meeting, eating, developing relationships, They're talking about how we live this out. And they're praying, oh God... What are their prayers? How grateful we are because we're just blown away. Oh God, we don't know how how to live this truth out. Give us wisdom. Oh God, there's, there's people in our life that don't have the same opinion of Jesus as we. So we want to pray for people to change their mind about Jesus. I mean, all kinds of prayers that they're praying. So as you kind of envision that and feel the importance of that, it does lead to the question, how does our community spend its time? And I think the obvious suggestion is we want to do what they're doing. Now, we still have the apostles' teaching called the New Testament. So from Matthew to Revelation, we can open up any page and we can get a truth. And with that truth, together we can figure out how to live it out. And we want to give ourselves to listening to the apostles' teaching so that we are living out the teaching of Jesus. We don't want to just study so that we log stuff away in our head and we have all the Bible trivia stuff. We don't don't want to do that. We want to live this. And so we want to spend lots of time together, not just in personal Bible study. There's value in spending time with Jesus alone. I do that almost every day. I love to hang out with Jesus. But I also know if I'm going to participate in what this community is doing, then I've got to be with others reading a teaching of the apostles and working it out together. Because my faith is always relational. It's not just relationship with God. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and Jesus and you. How do we continue to grow closer in relationship? I mean, there, in koinonia, there is an intimacy. Koinonia is used of the marital relationship. It's intent, it, it, there is a closeness. We are supposed to become brothers and sisters. We are to become a family. Man, is that ever a crying need of the people around us? So we get to live that out, and then we can say to others that are homeless, familyless, come on in. It's a family you can be a part of and we love to eat together. So the meals at my house today, no, the meals at my house today, meals at my house, we're going to break bread together. We're going to spend lots of time eating together. And as we eat together, we talk and we share our lives. We have family. And then it's very natural for us to pray for each other in that setting to pray for others that that's what that's this is what our faith is as I thought about how we want our community to spend its time i came back to a way that we're trying to encourage us to live it out you know when when we travel through acts that my prayer is this that the holy spirit would pull out pour out his power on us so that we tell others of Jesus and they, too, begin to enjoy community. That's, that's my prayer. I, I want the Holy Spirit to empower us to tell others of Jesus so that they become a part of community. Last week, we began to pray about who, who is that person in each of our lives that we can befriend? And, and we're, gonna, we're probably going to do this faster than it needs to be, but with that person now, last week, okay, I know who that person is. The question this week is, what can I do this week to enter into that person's world? See, the movement of, of those that follow Jesus needs to be like Jesus. God entered our world. God didn't invite us to come into his world. He said, I'm coming to you. And so those of us that are following Jesus, when we befriend people, and we want that friendship over time to naturally involve introducing that person to Jesus, to to initiate contact, we need to be willing to enter another person's world. And so we can ask the Holy Spirit, how do I do that? Most of us, that's really hard for us to do. We don't know really how to do that. It's, it's easier for us to invite people into our world. It's harder for us to go into somebody else's world. But that's what God did. So, how can we enter into another person's world? So that's what that's how I want us to end our time in just some, some prayer and ministry. And what we did last week, I'd like us to do again, which is to spread out, if you have an empty chair next to you, just get in a place where it's you and an empty chair, but that chair represents the person that you want to befriend. And so if we'll spread out. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then let you pray, and then I'll say amen at the end. Okay? So go. You can go, Dorothy. Joyce, you can now stay. Kate left. You have a seat empty next to you. It's even warm. Jennifer has to leave. There we go. Okay, take a moment. Just, you know, there's there's now a person next to you. Somebody that you want to befriend. And that naturally through that friendship with you is going to be a day when you get to introduce Jesus, your friend, to that person. Lord, as I said, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would pour, pour out his power on us so that we can tell others of Jesus. This morning you've reminded us of you've you've not only allowed us to enter into relationship with Jesus, you've not only allowed us to identify with Jesus, to be baptized, to be forgiven, you've also given to us a community. A community where people want to hear from you. A community where people listen and then do. Listen and be, they're transformed. That we really want to follow in your footsteps, Jesus. We're a community where we want to do whatever it takes to become brothers and sisters. To, to, to really work at relationship. To relate well. A community that ends up in each other's homes, at each other's tables, where, where we break bread together, and we laugh together, we cry together, we share uh, meals together again and again and again in a community that, that prays. Lord, this is the community that you've given to us, and we want others to enter into this community. The Holy Spirit, we ask this day that as we think about the person that we are going to befriend, Our question today is, what can we do this week to enter into another person's world? How do we make contact? How do we move towards someone else? So would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? Give us your ideas. Jesus, we end our time by just saying to you how grateful we are. Thank you so much for your story. And thank you that the glory and the might that's coming around has come around to us. And let it come around to others. In your name we pray. Thank you for our morning together.